and welcome to another DBSA podcast, which stands for Dear <clears throat> Smart Authors. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart <clears throat> Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Today we're talking about your answers to the question, what is it called when the hymen is in the wrong place? You guys are hilarious. Just wait until you hear some of these answers. We're also going to talk about series and whether it's fair to read one book after the other without stopping, even when those books were released months apart. And we talk a little bit about what Jane is reading, what I'm reading, and we see how many author names Jane mispronounces in a single podcast. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. It is a track called Dragons from a Parisian group called Caravan Palace. I kid you not, they met because they all used to record music for French porno. Is that not awesome? Anyway, porno music aside, on with the podcast. so entries on the hymen mislocation contest where we need people to give us a name for when the hymen is in the wrong place because it happens all the time and it needs a name. So our first entry is from Sharon. So Sharon writes, I hope I'm responding to this podcast contest question correctly. I was listening at work and someone had the nerve to ask me a questions about work of all things. Ooh, that's terrible. She suggests... Hymensterical dysplasia, like a medical diagnosis, as in <laughs> this heroine in this novel suffers from hymensterical dysplasia. I think that's a really good one. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's very clever. All right. Elise writes, this contest submission was thought up by my boyfriend, Chris, after five minutes of me explaining what I was trying to come up with in the first <laughs> place and him looking confused. His name for the vacationing hymen stories, Shyman, because only a shy hymen has one place to hide. Shyman, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Oh, I love the podcast. It makes my day even every time I open up the site and see a new one. Many thanks to the two of you for all the great book suggestions and for the awesome websites. You're very welcome, Elise. Thank you for the awesome Shyman. And to your boyfriend, Chris, too. Well done. I like that one. Okay. Moving on. From Lisa, Hayden Hymans. <laughs> and as a side note, that would be for all of the um, Western books. Yes, any Westerns with we cowboys. Could have, we could have uh, <laughs> category specific terms. So, like, if um, not that Laura Lee James doesn't know where the hymen is, but right. if someone like her books, yes, was Sarah uh, McCarty and Laura Lee, ja Laura Lee James accidentally placed the hymen in the wrong place. We got Hayden Hymans. Yes, we would have to call that the Hayden Hyman. Because, <laughs> you know, she never includes the G's in her, in her dialogue. Lisa also says, as a side note, your contest triggered the following conversation with a male friend. Me, there is a contest. What should we call a book where the hymen is several inches in? Male friend, wrong. <laughs> I'm well, I so love that proud. the guys know where the hymen is. I love it. Authors don't. <laughs> I think it's hysterical, especially because I was thinking about this. All these scenes where the hymen is like up the valley ways, they're all told from the male point of view. 
all of these sex scenes are from the male point of view. They're not always from the female point of view, which I find very strange because most of the most of the, the, the stuff that leads up to that would likely be from the heroine's point of view. But the sex scene, especially where she gets deflowered, is often from the hero. It's very odd. Well, maybe these guys know because they've experienced <laughs> They've been deflowering for a while and they know exactly <laughs> where it is. I probably shouldn't have said that, right? But we don't know these people. Yeah, it's okay. If these guys know and they're doing it right, then more power to them. Right after I wrote that column, I started reading a book called What's Up Down There, which is a nonfiction Q&A book that's basically all about the vagina. And I was laughing and telling Adam so much about it that he wants to read it now. So he and I are going to be the most well-informed vagina people ever. But I made the mistake of leaving the book out and my in-laws came over and my mother-in-law, who is from Brooklyn, and this really is how she talks, she comes in and my father-in-law is sitting there. He couldn't even be in the same house if I was breastfeeding. So he was completely not ready for this conversation. Oh, no. But my mother-in-law reads my website and she's constantly asking me things about it. Like she doesn't understand the Twitter. The Twitter, she doesn't understand. She'll tell me like 25 <laughs> minutes how she does. Sarah, who cares about why you're tweeting pictures about a boot? Why was it just one boot? Who's on the Twitter looking at one boot? And I, I had to explain that one. So Charlene picks up my book, What's Up Down There, and she's looking at it. And I'm like, oh, boy. And Adam's looking at her looking at it. And we're both sitting there going, this is going to be good. So she's flipping through it. And she says, Sarah, was this what you were reading when you wrote about the clitoris? <laughs> and first of all, I could barely keep my face straight because I didn't want to laugh at her. It's my mother-in-law. She's awesome. But I had to explain that, no, that wasn't where I learned about the clitoris. That was where I learned about the vagina. And at this point, I think my father-in-law wanted to crawl under the couch. He's just sitting there trying to watch the football and we're talking about the clitoris. Oh God, it was awesome. So by the way, if you want to learn all about the vagina, what's up down there is a great book. My mother-in-law now wants to read it. So you can't borrow my copy because she's going to have it. And she'll probably talk about it on the Twitter. So next one is from Callisto who says, how about... The askew hymen or the lost and wandering hymen roaming aimlessly in her cavernous gateway to heaven. I don't know if that fits. I don't even know if we could make an acronym out of that. The Lohuar could get no, – I don't know if that's a, that one works. <laughs> that just brings to mind Keanu Reeves for me. <laughs> you really don't want to think about Keanu Reeves. But you know, I have to say if there would ever be a spokesperson for not knowing where the hymen is, he would probably be it because he just doesn't look like he knows what's going on from day to day, let alone where the hymen is. Dude, <clears throat> the hymen, it's like totally up there. <laughs> way out there all right amy writes in hi sarah and jane love the recent episode here are my entries for the contest to describe when authors are affected by hymen mislocation syndrome first hymen maneuver second oh god this is great hey wall a hymen gone a wall <laughs> this will be for all the military romances you know, right, right. <clears throat> apparently, she says, she says the military apparently also uses gone Elvis for missing in action. Don't you love the idea of a hymen gone Elvis? It's too much of a diva to be in the anatomically correct place. Yes, it's hidden away. It's it's just left the building. So here's my question. You know, the military already has its own, um, you know, acronyms and mm -hmm. dialect and mm -hmm. codes. Why do they make codes for codes? Like, why are they making another saying for AWOL? 
It's like Cockney slang. It's layered. <laughs> One word has six meanings, and you have to decipher all of them before you can figure out what the hell they're talking about. Amy also suggests Hymenally Challenged, which is, would be an original credit to the movie Clueless. And I completely forgot that there is a, a scene in there where a character is uh, hymenally challenged. Although that sounds like something happened to it that she didn't intend to happen to it. Jennifer. Jennifer has a good one. Submitted for your approval. The HMS Hyman Mislocation Syndrome. A story suffers from HMS whenever the author perpetuates the myth that Hadrian's Wall is located halfway up the English Channel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Signs of HMS include grimacing faces, extreme pain, and much guilt from the hero. Oh, that's well done. (laughs) Hadrian's Wall is up the English Channel. (laughs) Oh, well done. And we have one from Avery. Thank you for an excellent podcast. I look forward to listening to your 2009 shows while I'm traveling to conferences this semester. We'll be talking about very different books in the 2009 ones. As per your request, an entry or entries in the naming contest. I can't. I perfectly understand if one can't have multiples. Really, I just enjoy wasting the half hour come up coming up with these. And honestly, they're more suggested tags than names since Hyman doesn't lend itself to portmanteau. Here are Avery's entries. Tales of an eighth grade anatomy failure. Are you there, heroine? It's me, your hymen. Are you there, heroine? <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Hymen. And really, any of the Indiana Jones movies would do. Dick Jones, the Hymen of Doom. Dick Jones and the Last Hymen. Dick Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Hymen. Crystal Hymen. I like that one. Oh, no. Blind Dick's Bluff. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Strategic withdrawal, planting a backyard garden, or hymen go seek. (laughs) I like that one. I like hymen and go seek. Sunny Girl says, let's see. I've been listening to your podcast while decorating and laughing out loud. My husband and cat think I'm weird. No, no, no. Your husband and your cat are weird. Ideas for the mislocated hymen tag. Oh, she's going with Indiana Jones too. Raiders of the Lost Hymen, or R-O-T-L-H for short. Going to North Vagina, as in aiming for West Virginia and getting it terribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The Lost Gardens of Hymen. This may be more funny for Brits because they'll get the reference to the Lost Gardens of Heligan. And Love Needs No Map, or L-N-N-M. Though it could do with a diagram of a female reproductive organ. Because it's always said, love needs no map. It can find its way blindfolded. Well, apparently it can find its way blindfolded, but it's going to hit a barrier in the wrong place. Well done. Okay. And one more. These are from T. Actually, she signs it T. Ideas for what to call a misplaced hymen. Buried hymen. Hymen mining. Sub-basement hymen. Deep sea hymen. That would be for all of the um, Navy SEAL, aquatic, uh, undersea creature hymen uh, books. Submarine hymen, bottom dweller hymen, hymen in the abyss, <laughs> submerged hymen, or belly button hymen. Quite good. So, do you have a favorite? Well, didn't um, Katrin on um, Twitter say one too? I can't even remember what it was. Oh gosh, I don't know. I missed it if she did. She did. We, we actually exchanged... Um, responses about it oh crap monkeys let me see here oh here high myth or high mythical oh high myth or high mythical this is from katrin 
Yeah. Quite good. High myth or high mythical? High mythical. <laughs> but that also almost sounds like the heroine made it up. Oh, yeah, I'm totally a virgin. Sure, let me get some strategically <laughs> placed blood and, um, you know, yeah, just let me pretend like I'm a virgin. Ow, ow, ow. Uh, that is quite good. I like that one. Okay. Um, what was the halfway up the... Hadrian, the oh, Hadrian Hadrian's wall. Hadrian's wall is halfway up the English Channel. Yeah, I I, I like the Shyman. That's pretty funny. That the um, Hadrian's wall halfway up the English Channel was HMS Hyman Mislocation Syndrome. Right. And let's see, Shyman was Elise, whose boyfriend came up with that one. The shy Hyman only has one place to hide. <laughs> I do like Shyman. I do like Shyman a lot. Perhaps what we should do is post the podcast and then include a poll where people can vote on which one they like best. Oh, I like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it diplomatic. Let's not make the hard decisions. Yeah, let's let's make everyone else make our hard decisions. There's another email here I want to read to you. Dear Sarah and Jane, first, I'm loving the podcast. They're like my romance version of NPR, National Romance Radio, perhaps. That would be awesome. If we could get federal funding for an entire day of romance discussion, it would be most excellent. Anyway, you said on the Cultish podcast that you really enjoy YA werewolf books, and I immediately thought that you had you had to read By the Pale Moonlight by Jennifer Hendren. Now, this is the best part of the email. I love, I love re- recommendations like this, and I know you do, too. I'm already on uh, Amazon. (laughs) Full disclosure, Jen is my crit partner. I even name a character after her in one of my books, and I don't know if some sort of author etiquette violation for pimping your colleague's book, although honestly, if she knew I was writing to you, she'd probably die of embarrassment. All right. So so I'll just say I'm not speaking as an author, but as a reader who would happily devour a book a day if I had time, and Jen is one of the best writers I've ever read. So if you're looking for an awesome YA werewolf story, give her book a try. It's self-published, and it's 99 cents right now. And if you don't like it, I'll happily give you a dollar. I already bought it. Yep. I bought it and started it last night. And it starts off with a heroine who you can see where she needs to grow a backbone because she's being pressured by her boyfriend to do it. And um, her best friend is the the possible werewolf and he's treating her like crap. And you can tell at some point she's going to get a spine and it's going to be awesome. So I'm well, actually I, I really hope that it. she gets the yeah, spine. Yeah, I hope she gets a spine. I hope that's her character arc. I, and there's one, there's a postscript. If you and Jane wanted to start a campaign to entice Sarah Mayberry, Karina Bliss, and Kathleen O'Reilly to write single title romances because I love them so much. I wish their books were longer. That would be great too. <laughs> You know, I'm not the only person who's thought, gosh, Sarah Mayberry and Karina Bliss should totally write single titles. It would be so great. Well, you know, they almost are. I mean, the the word count for Harlequin Super Romances are at 85,000 words. That's a single title contemporary. I think um, like Yours to Keep by Shannon Stacy, which is being published by Harlequin mm-hmm. this year, it was like six, was 70 around 70,000 words. Mm-hmm. So I think the, yeah, I think the problem with the Harlequin super romances is that their covers are so terrible and uh, the titles are so terrible. And across the line, there's an uneven, um, there's unevenness of the sexual t- tension and intensity. And, uh, 
and some of the Harlequin Super Romance writers are just really bad at writing sex scenes. In fact, I just read one this past week, and the story wasn't bad, but the, the sex scenes were just terrible. Oh, that's the worst. And it was terrible because it was like she wanted to write something really hot, but it just came off as like the, it, it just came off poorly. <laughs> You know, I find myself skipping sex scenes a lot now. Like if I start to read and it goes from somewhat lyrical or interesting language to something that's very clinical, I'll just start flipping pages until I get to the point where they're not they're not doing any insertion or arching or groaning or exploding or arching like stars and exploding like balloons or something. I get I skip it because it it if it's not written well, it's really just just yanks you out of the story. Like, oh, look, it's a sex scene. This is not doing it for me. Yeah, I think sex scenes are probably some of the hardest to write, mm-hmm. would be my guess. And um, although, didn't you write the sex scenes in your Beyond Heaving Bosoms? I did. I wrote, I remember this very clearly. In the back of the bosoms are several choose your own adventure style romance stories. There's a historical and a paranormal. Um, a contemporary and a romantic suspense. And Candy wrote just about all of them until the par- to the paranormal one. And the book was due in like two days and she sent me that section and it was all of the choose your own adventure all lined out. And then the paranormal one. And I think she, she stopped. I don't remember why, but she stopped. And then I took over because I thought, I'll just get this done. It's, it's a sex scene. It can't be that hard. <laughs> Boy, was I stupid. So in the paranormal choose your own adventure, the character, the heroine has to have sex with five different creatures. And in the end, I'll spoil this for you. You end up doing an unbreakable circle, whichever one you select, you're going to have to select another one till you end up having an incredible round robin of sex and you can't get out of having sex with all these creatures. That's, that's the end of it. You, there's no end. You just Sounds keep like sex. a Laurel K. Hamilton story. <laughs> that was my inspiration. And Candy came up with these really screwed up creatures like the Tanuki, which is this piece of um, folklore in Japanese culture about a sort of a large furry creature with an enormous, I'm not making this up, an enormous nutsack. And he makes his nutsack look like a storefront. He's huge. So people come up to the storefront and he absorbs them into his nuts. <laughs> and, and I was like, this is great. Fuck the Tanuki. Gotta fuck the Tanuki. So I have all these sex scenes with a guy with tentacles and a vampire and the Tanuki. And there was another one. And I'm writing paranormal sex scenes one after another, after another, after another. It was incredibly difficult. And I have so much more respect for women who write sex scenes and do it well because it is not easy. Well, I definitely think that there's, it's difficult to <clears throat> write good sex scenes. And it's kind of funny that, or ironic that some of the worst sex scenes are in erotic romances. But my one of my problems, and I really like the Harlequin super romance line. I mean, when I get those from Harlequin, I read them um, right away, or at least I try to. But some of the stories just read so old to me, and uh, they're contemporaries, so... I, I I would like them to be a little more modern. Like some of the characters, I feel like don't even know what a cell phone is. Oh, no. <laughs> Let alone where the hymen is. Oh um, no! And and uh, you know, there some of them are just kisses only, and I have a hard time buying that a contemporary romance is just kisses only. <laughs> Not that we're all a bunch of whores, but. <laughs> I would think that a contemporary romance includes some kind of sexual tension. 
I, I would think any romance includes some kind of sexual tension. I that's my favorite part, the sexual tension. I I I you know, I've told you my favorite trope is I don't want to like you. I can't stop thinking about your hair. Damn it. That's my favorite when people are really inconvenienced by how attracted they are to someone and so they can't stop thinking about it. When but not only when the sex turns clinical, but when the language changes. Not only is it, you know, insert tab A into slot B, but there are some metaphors that are used for orgasms that just don't need to be used anymore. Like they fly, they fall, they explode, they shatter. There's a lot of shattering. Um, waves, lots of waves. There are some, there are just some language in orgasms that just, we need to retire these, 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 these things. Yes. And you know, another thing we need to retire well, that I read a lot of damn, the word damn, I am tired of people using the word damn as some sort of introduction to a thought that has bothered them. Damn, he's hot. Damn, it was a good idea. Damn, she's just beautiful. Damn, his cock is hard. Just stop using the word damn. People don't use that word that much. I don't use it that much. Do you use it that all the time? It's like, it's like the erotic hero's requirement. He has to say damn before he thinks something. Well, I think there's two things going on there. One, the use of vulgarities by men in romances is part of the masculinity or masculinization of the characters. It's the cue to show you that they are raw and earthy. Because I say, damn? Yes. But I also think it's because... Please. If they were in Jersey, they'd be like, fucking A. <laughs> the, uh, <coughs> the, that's a bridge. I, and uh, I'm sure from speech, you've, you know that those types of words are used by people actually in real life to create a bridge from one sentence to another. It's very hard to eliminate those from your speech, and my guess is that authors are having a hard time eliminating that from their books as well. You might be right about that. And certainly in speech, you say, um, or it's hard to eliminate those when you speak. I have a hard enough time not saying, um. It's, it's hard enough to eliminate, um, and uh, when you speak, and I struggle with that. But it's, it's amazing to me that even with the awareness of the bridge, the word damn appears so much in dialogue. It's almost like everyone's adopting it as a habit, much like the mislocation of the hymen. Can we blame this on... I don't think we can blame this one on Jude Devereaux. No, I don't think we can We can lay this at Jude Devereaux's door. I don't think she ever said damn. Is it Suzanne Brockman's fault? I don't know. I confess I haven't read enough Suzanne Brockman to know. You read a lot of Suzanne Brockman, right? I did. I was an avid devotee. And I fell off the wagon when I was disappointed by the culmination of a story that had taken place, uh, of a romance that had culminated in a book that started in like the first book in the series. And Are you talking about Sam and Alyssa? Yes. <laughs> you didn't like Sam and Alyssa? I didn't, but even worse, I didn't like Gina's story. And I really wanted to like that story, but it just... I just felt like she was moving in a different direction than I was interested in. And ultimately, I think that was the right choice for me because her, you know, books had really lost their luster, the, the, the types of stories she was telling. Do you think they got too similar? No, I felt like she was moving farther and farther away from romance and she was telling these action stories and she had moved the action to the U.S. And I couldn't, I just could not suspend my disbelief mm. to... Um, to allow those types of um, 
covert terrorist operations to take place in the U.S. without having any kind of... Come on, there's serial killers and dukes everywhere. I know. Everywhere, duke serial killers. They take off their shirts, they have wild sex, and they kill 20 people with a paperclip. And sometimes they're the hero and sometimes they're not. (laughs) I just received the arc of her book... I think last week, and it's um, the start of a new series. My understanding is it's kind of X-Men-like, and I'm a little intrigued. I, I think I might try it out. You know, that's sort of related to something I heard someone say at um, at a conference. I went to the Heather Graham Writers for New Orleans conference over Labor Day weekend, which is a conference that Heather Graham started mostly to bring people to New Orleans, and she builds the schedule of the conference such that there are sessions about writing, and then there's a lot of time where she expects you to go shopping, which I'm totally okay with conferences that build in time to go shopping because she started it right after Katrina and hoped that people would come and spend lots of money in New Orleans, which I have unfailingly done. I was on a panel with an agent named Cherry Weiner. Cherry was talking about reading a series and she said that in her opinion she didn't think it was really fair for a reader to stock up on a series and read them one after the other because you're going to get bored and it will get stale and the point of the series is to have some spread between them and it made me think well that's that's an interesting perspective um and her part of her point was that the author doesn't necessarily write them all in a row either so you you put some space between them to make each book stand alone a little better. And while I don't necessarily agree, and there are times when I totally want to start a series with book one and read straight through to book five, I did that with Cresley Cole and did not have a problem at all. It's it's an interesting theory because there are people who will read a series and then get burnt out on it. Definitely. And then there's other people who read a series and say, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm going to start over with book one because book four is the one at the end. One series that I, that I read straight through and the books came out very far apart was uh, Julia Spencer Fleming's series about um, Russ Van Alstyne and uh, Claire Ferguson, which is a mystery series with a very heavy romance thread. I read those one after the other, after the other, after the other, and then pr- promptly bought them for like four people in my family. That was not at all a problem for me. And I didn't have any problem with the continuity of the story, especially because it was clear where one book was leaving off and the next one was picking up in the timeline. Um, but I, I sort of see her point because it, it, the books aren't written on a, in a row and they're, and they're released far enough apart that they're not meant to be read in a row. And I'm curious if readers who read a series with some space between and then readers who read one book after another have a different experience with that same book. I read um, the... Uh, Karen Marie Moaning series. I, I, uh, there were five books, and I guess they ended in a cliffhanger. And I wasn't that interested in the first book to buy it. And when I heard that it had a cliffhanger, I thought, uh, there's so many other books to read. I'm going to pass on this one. Over time, her series became more and more popular, and they showed up discounted at various times on Amazon. So I started buying them, but I, wasn't, I did not read them until the fifth book came out because every book ended with a cliffhanger, and I just didn't want to start there. That would be my exception too, yeah. So when book five came out, I began to read book one. I, I think I started reading them about a month before book five came out, and um, I... Maybe because of the hype, I just didn't see it. I mean, by the time I got to book five, I was kind of exhausted about reading of, about them. <laughs> and I was, uh, I didn't, 
I, I was not caught up in the anticipation, and I think that that adversely affected my reading experience. But I, you know, I'll start a series in the middle and be totally lost, and I won't be interested in reading book one. I mean, there's so many challenges with writing a series. It, it's kind of, to me, it's like with anything that's successful, People will try to emulate it, but sometimes it's successful because of the writer, not because of the gimmick. Yes, I agree. And I'm with you about um, uh, cliffhangers because if there's a cliffhanger, I will wait until the next one comes out before I leave myself hanging, so to speak. I knew that um, the Rachel Hawkins series, Hex Hall, I think book two ended on a cliffhanger. And for a while, Angela James was, was my warning about cliffhangers. This has a cliffhanger. Oh, I'm not reading that. If word gets out that there's a cliffhanger, it automatically lowers the chances that I'm going to read that book until the next one comes out. I like an ending. I'm very picky. What are you reading right now? God, I have read a ton. I was, you know, away this past week. So I've read a lot. In fact, I was going to email you about Joe Lee Lay. I don't know how to... I think it's Jolie, but I'm not sure. Um, To all authors who I mispronounced your names, I apologize, but I'm terrible at that sort of thing. So you can call her Johnny Liddy. (laughs) Everyone uh, emails me and says, Dear Miss Little. Oh, I have automatically typed Little a lot of times. In fact, there was one email exchange with some, um, I think it was an advertiser and I'm like, I haven't received your ad. And they're like, well, we sent it like two weeks ago. And I'm like, gosh, I'm terribly sorry. Can you resend it? Or, um, and it turns out that they were sending it to Jane Little at DearAuthor.com. And for some reason, it didn't bounce back to them. So. Oh, no. Somewhere there's a Jane Little who's like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but she's not getting the money. She's just getting the ad. Yeah, exactly. Or she's getting a lot of email. Maybe, maybe some of the hate mail is going to her, too. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. I like to read my own hate mail. <laughs> I enjoy my hate mail. I, I tend to delete it, but I do save the nice ones. A good hater-rating email about a review I've written is always kind of astonishing. Like, wow. So Joe Lee has, or Lay, whatever this uh, author's <laughs> name is, she has written three books. They're coming out in February. Um, March, April, May, February, March, April, mm-hmm. February, April, May. I have no idea, but <laughs> it's it starts in February and May, right? <laughs> and the idea is that this one woman owns a printing shop or runs her family's printing shop, and uh, she brings this idea to a bunch of her friends that meet for lunch. And she says, I'd like to make uh, man trading cards where you put on the card the guy's photo and on the back um, you put their occupation, whether they are uh, um, looking for marriage, uh, date, or one-night stand. Interesting. Then, Then their passion, whether it's you know, Star Wars or the Guggenheim or fishing. And it's for some reason, you know, that person didn't work out for you, but you want to pass them on to see if they work out for someone else. Right. And so she creates these room, um, 
these man trading cards. And then the first story is about a girl who just moved to Manhattan, and she hooks up with uh, Charlie Winston, which is, I guess, some kind of Nick Denton-like uh, character who is straight, because Nick Denton is gay. and uh, But he's some New York... Uh, a blogger media mogul owns a like 19 blogs and um good that, god when does he sleep well when does nick denton sleep right this is true good point <clears throat> so um they hook up in in the book called choose me and then the second story is uh charlie winston's cousin samantha winston who runs a phone char- charitable foundation her and Chuck and uh, Charles and uh, Samantha are very, very wealthy. They come from old school, upper class, um, New York money. Mm -hmm. So she runs her family's charitable foundation, and she hooks up with a guy named Jake, who's a former cop who uh, was shot in the line of duty and is now disabled because of his injuries. And so he can't uh, be a cop anymore. And that's actually my favorite story of the series. Although the third one, which comes out in May, is about the girl who owns the printing press and her uh, longtime family friend who is a uh, disaster relief planner. So he'll go into different areas that are had suffered disaster relief and organize and help rebuilding. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like an urban architect, but he does it right. for disaster relief locations. So he's back for a period of time to dispose of his family's business. And he stays with their family because he's been part of their family for since he was like third grade. And then they fall in love. And then she suffers some repercussions from the romance, the male trading cards. Interesting. And I thought that it was a pretty good series. I, um, I haven't loved all of the Blaze books, but this series of books um, by Jolie were pretty entertaining, very sexy, and modern, I felt. That's really interesting. So um, I would recommend that you read those. They don't have any maiming of children. Thank you. I appreciate lack of maiming of children. <laughs> no Just... cliffhangers. Oh, even better. They actually text each other. No. Yeah, and um, the 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 first book was not my favorite. I I couldn't get caught up. The the story is a lot about New York and being interested in fame and um, acquiring that. And I I couldn't relate to those characters. Didn't understand it. Right. But I really liked the kind of class conscious second story, and then the third story, which was the friends to lovers. These are all the tropes that we like. I know. And that's all for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or comments or you want to tell us we're wrong about something, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, podcast at gmail.com. The music was provided by Sarah Outwater. Thank you, Sassy Outwater. This is Caravan Palace, and we will have links to their album, um, although their website is in French. You can translate it. Future podcasts are going to discuss more romance because that's what we like to talk about. If you have any suggestions or things we should talk about, email us or, you know, leave a comment or just yell really loud. Maybe we'll hear you. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we wish you the very best of reading. (laughs) 